0: I'd like to read to you from um, the 8th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. It starts with the 26th verse. If you have your phone with you, you have a Bible with you. It's up on the screen. Now, I may be reading a little bit of a different version than what's up on the screen, so just know that. I, I often re- re- read from the New Revised Standard Version, um, and sometimes I'm not for sure what we have up there today, NIV maybe. So, um, just know that it's just variations in translation. Let me preface this. So, Jesus has been doing, you know, his his normal thing. He's been preaching and teaching and healing, and and the disciples have just been on the water, and he and he's he's calmed a storm. And and so they're on um, they're on what I would say was the you know the Israel side of of the Sea of Galilee. And if you can imagine, um, if you can just imagine this for a minute. If you stand up on a on a on even a decently high point um, near the Sea of Galilee, I mean, it's it's not that far across. I mean, in, in some places it would be like, um, I'm trying to think, you know, across some of the, the the wider rivers that we have, you know, closer toward the bay. As you look across, that you can you can see the other side, um, and and. And for the most part, it's it's hilly on both sides, and so Jesus. But on the other side of the Sea of Galilee is is more Gentile territory, and and that's where um, and that's where Jesus is going. He goes across the Sea of Galilee into into Gentile, more Gentile-held territory, um, though it's still though it's still held by the Romans, but it's just not Jewish um, Jewish homeland. So, listen. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, "'What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God?' I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, and he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. They begged him, not, they begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. When the swineherd saw what had happened, they ran off and told it to the city and in the country, Then people came out to see what had happened and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them for they were seized with great fear. So we got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. Here ends the reading. We may not talk about it this way, but it's not a far stretch to say that we are surrounded by demons. Some of them are inside of us, our own personal demons. We might talk about them that way. Some of them, feel, are, you know, they feel like they're out there, that they're, they're forces demonic forces that are, that are out there that are working against everything that we might hold dear. I don't know that anyone uh, this week in our country or in the world, as we've seen other things happen, would not at least say there's something going on that is not good. On, um, a number of months ago, I was asked to preach before our presbytery, which, if you don't know, is a gathering of about 103 or 4 or 5 um, of Presbyterian congregations in this area of, of the country. We're called the Presbytery of the James. And, and so I'd been preparing for that. And, of course, I had my sermon all ready to go last Thursday. <laughs> and then the shooting happened in Orlando on early Sunday morning. And I didn't hear about it until after our worship services on Sunday. And and so that's why if, if you were wondering why you didn't hear anything about that on Sunday morning, that's why you didn't. I didn't know anything about that until after that. Um, and so it was interesting because... Uh, as I got, I got home and I started reading things and trying to, you know, everybody, you know, everything's still a mess and we're still trying to figure out what's going on and we're blaming ISIS and we're doing this and we're doing that and, every, you know, you have all the politicians doing their normal stuff and, and whatever they're going to do and, 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 and I selfishly go, I have to rewrite a sermon. And then on Monday night, I was talking with, um, with a friend of Noah's and, and, and we were just talking about how I was struggling with what to say. What was I, I going to say 350 of my colleagues and elders from other churches about what God had to say about this, about, about where God is in the midst of all this? And, and it was then that I remembered that one other time I, I've been asked to speak to a large group of my colleagues and um, it was back when I was in seminary, and, and this was one of those things where no no senior seminarian ever preached at our Wednesday Eucharist. I was at, I went to a Lutheran seminary, and the Wednesday Eucharist was a big deal. I mean, we called it smells, bells, and yells. I mean, it was it was it was you know you did you did the whole thing. And, and this year, our, our our particular student group was in charge of that week of wor- of a week of worship and. And so uh, our professor said, we're not bringing in a bishop. We're not going to bring in some, you know, professor, whatever. One of you seniors is going to preach. Pretty unheard of. We just didn't do that in our seminary. It was always a dignitary. And so, of course, I said, there's no way in God's green earth that you're going to get me up in front of a bunch of my colleagues who are primed and ready to tear apart everything I'm going to say, because that's what we did. I mean, if you're in graduate school and you go hear a sermon, you know, you're, you're not listening to it to hear what it has for you. You're trying to figure out where the theological holes are. Right? I mean, you know, you got a bishop up there. Just let them have it. Well, guess who got the short straw? I did. So here it is. It's, it's Tuesday, April 20th, 1999. And uh, I've got my sermon all done and I crank up the computer because it's back in good old AOL days, you know, and you hear that, you hear that nice, you know, and AOL comes up and the front page and I, if, if some of you have linked up what the date was already, that was the day of the Columbine shooting. Out the window with that sermon. We had interns that were serving in that community. Um, even though I was in Ohio, we, were, we had interns serving in, in the Columbine community. And so it was, a, it was very, I mean, for us, it, was, it very much felt like it hit home. Because we were trying to figure out how do we support these, these interns and churches out there. While we're so far away, and here was the thing: we had planned we had planned this jazz liturgy. If you know anything about Lutherans, we sing the liturgy, and so we had we had these we had these jazz musicians, and it was it was it was it was going to be one of the most upbeat services we've ever had. I mean, when we'd gone through rehearsal, it was on that Tuesday morning. It, it was amazing, and so. I had to figure out what to, what to say. So I guess I thought, well, I've been here before, <laughs> unfortunately. You know, back then in 99, was, it was, this was an uncommon thing, a shooting like this. Um, and so it was, it was particularly hard, I think, to wrap my head around. And, and I think now maybe, maybe I'm a little more jaded. Because it happens. This isn't something that every once in a while happens. It seems like it just happens now. It's just it's part of our... And we can get numb to it. Especially if it doesn't really touch us closely. Now we know that in our state, at least, I mean, we, we've been touched pretty closely here. We, uh, uh, up until, up until um, Sunday morning, the Virginia Tech shooting was, was, had the largest number of casualties and, and dead of any mass shooting in the U.S. up to that point. One of my colleagues, um, who's the pastor at Second Presbyterian now, he was in Blacksburg then, and he, he was right in the midst of all of that. And I've talked with him a bunch about, about what they did there. But we deal with demons. I mean, and I don't mean that in, in, in just some strictly satanic, you know, spirits sort of thing, but... But we deal with these things even in the midst of our own lives. I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, maybe your life has been, maybe, maybe it was pretty easy for you to figure out who you were and what you were about and, and what your gifts and talents are and, and what you should be doing with your life and what your identity was. But I would say most of us, and if you've had that, God bless you. But, if, if, but for most of us, I, I think if we wanted to go there, we, we could say we struggle with demons. We struggle with voices in our own heads telling us that we suck, that we're no good, that we're not as good as this other person, that, that we need to get our act together, what, you know, whatever it is. And I think everybody on some level does, and some people, some of us, thank God, have resources and families and congregations in which we are welcome to talk openly and honestly about these kinds of things. I mean, if you, if you look at these, the folks who have perpetrated many of these, especially the mass shootings, so many of them were troubled. I mean, that's what comes out after the fact, is so many of them were, were fighting with demons inside themselves. And for some of them, then, to, find, to figure out their identity, then they, they pick up... They pick up an ideology because that gives you a very clear sense of purpose and mission. It's one of the reasons why, in in you know in, in certain in certain socioeconomic um, statuses and in certain places around the country, you know, especially in inner cities and sometimes even in the rural areas, that 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 young men and young women join gangs because they they don't have a family to give them a purpose and an identity and a, and a, and a, and a way to shape their lives. And so, they, and so they join a gang because that gives them a sense of purpose and identity. It gives them a family. Even though that family may be just as dysfunctional as the other, they know that they've, they've got a place where they're safe, protected. It gives them an order. It gives them, it gives them a way of living. Some of the shooters, if you look at their lives, you, you just wonder um, if this particular thing was, was, was to show that they were significant because they didn't feel significant in any, in any place in their lives. And so the easiest way to get significance from somebody, violence. I come up to you, I punch you in the mouth, I'm pretty significant to you right then, aren't I? I kill a bunch of people. I'm pretty significant. It's sick, but this is true. We'll do all kinds of things to prove our significance. These issues aren't easy. It's complicated and we could and we could and we could do we can do we could do all kinds of things, but most of the time what we do is we sort of numb ourselves to it or we go and and we and we and we sit in our homes, and and we wring our hands, and we load our guns, and we lock our doors, and we just hope that nothing happens to us. But you and I, people who are seeking to believe what it is that God says about us, that we are children, Of a heavenly Father, that we are children of a loving God; that we are children who are holy and set apart and valuable. That's not what we get to do. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't be sad. Doesn't mean we shouldn't despair. Doesn't mean we shouldn't lament. We we have that tradition and history, don't we? In our in, in our faith, I mean, we have a whole book in the Bible. What's it called? Lamentations, right? I mean, the psalm that we read this morning, I mean, I love that. It just over and over again. Why should I despair? Why, I'm gonna, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hope in you, oh God. But then it goes through all those things about why, 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 should, I, why should I be sad? Why should I be? Well, because you, it feels like you deserted me, God. It feels like this and that, the other things. All these things are going wrong. Everybody's after me. But I'm going to hope in you. But I'm going to hope in you. Jesus goes to the area of the Gerasenes and he meets up with a man who has demons. And so we have Jesus and we have this community and we have this man who has demons. We have this group of demons. And what has the Gerasene community done with their demons? Just think about this for a minute. We're doing a little metaphorical analysis of the text here. Locked him away. Let's put him in the cemetery among the tombs. Let's put him in chains. Let's, 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 put, let's put our demons on the edges. Let's not really talk about them or have them full front and center for us. Let's, let's put it over here. Taking a little poetic license here, but this, in, in some ways that's what's happening. And, but, what is, but what does this guy do? What, what, what does this legion of demons do whenever they lock him away, whenever they put him in chains? What happens? He breaks out. He breaks out. I think it's an amazing metaphor because our society we we are we are we are much more likely to want to put our personal demons away to try to hide them from each other, right? To try to hide them from the larger society. Everything's all fine here. I mean, how many times do you hear when somebody does something really bizarre, you're like, oh, he was just a nice, quiet neighbor? Yep. Maybe he was fighting some demons too. So, Jesus comes into the situation and he, he, meet, he meets that head on. He meets that head on, and he and he investigates in a way what's going on with this man. Now, don't we wish we all had the power to just cast out the demons? I wish I did. I, I wish for everybody who suffers with depression and anxiety and bipolar and and you know eating disorders and, and, and I mean I I wish I wish that there was a way I could just go and just lay on hands, and boom, done. Cast those demons out, and let that person become whole again. Um, in the power of Christ, I think we have, we have that power. It may be more of a process, though, for us. We live in a time where there's actually, in, in the history of the world, we're probably in a time when we have the fewish, fewest casualties from war, <laughs> from disease, From famine, and yet, especially in the Western world, we have the highest incidence of psychological trauma. We're seeing more suicides, more anxiety, more depression, um, more use of psychotropic drugs. I mean, just, (sighs) we're dealing with demons. And I think some of it is, is we're dealing with an identity crisis. We don't know who we are. And in trying to figure out who we are, these voices, these demons in our head lead us down all kinds of paths. And we're the community that in Christ has an opportunity to create places where we can meet these demons head on. Where we can not just lock our doors and wring our hands, but we can begin... To open our doors and our minds and our hearts to each other and to others. Because I'm guessing that you, if it's not you, you know someone in your life who is really struggling with some sort of demon. <laughs> if you want to call it that. Someone who's really struggling. And maybe you don't know what to do. But the most basic thing you can do is come along in solidarity and say, Listen, I may not understand what you're going through, but I'm I'm here for you. And I know that through the power of my faith, I believe, I believe that you can be healed, that you can be saved. The heal and save in, in, in the Greek can be translated either way. So when it says that the garrison was healed, It means he was saved. We have the opportunity as people of faith not to run away from these demons, but to confront them head on, to seek to find ways in our homes and in our communities, to show people the love and the hope and the grace, to remind them of the identity that each and every person on this earth has in the name of God. That each and every person is holy and loved and cared for. Even if they haven't figured out what their life is about. Even if they're not really sure about all the other stuff. That, that in God there is a place for them. And that whatever they're going through, they can be healed. And so we can welcome people of all sexual orientations, of all colors and creeds, of all, of all whatever, to begin to have conversations openly and honestly about what it means to struggle with demons. And for those of us that follow Christ, then we can begin to talk about our faith and what it means that Jesus is the one who saves, is the one who heals, is the one who draws us into a wholeness of life. Because Jesus didn't just save and heal this garrison and then, and then say, oh, well, just come along with me. We're going to go have a good time. He's going to come hang out with me now. He said, no, I want you to stay here and I want you to tell everybody what God has done for you. I want you to tell everybody what God has done for you. And we think he becomes the first missionary to the Gentiles. This person who everybody else wrote off. And so today, I don't know if it's you, I don't know if it's a family member, I don't know if it's a, you know, whatever. I don't know how you're feeling about what's going on in our country and in our world. But don't lose hope. We can lament. We can, we can despair. But don't lose hope. And don't go back behind closed doors and, 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 and lock your doors. Find ways to be out in your community in your family, at your work, seeking those who are hurting and showing them the face of Christ. Perhaps now more than ever, people need good news. That there is life out of death, that there is strength in weakness, and that we find that in the name of Christ. Amen.